Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. We sure do. Welcome to episode, oh my god, 179 of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. I'm your host, Sarah T. Bunting, and I am here, as always, with the Splan Fan Deferis, Mark Blankenship. Hi, Mark. Can't talk. Making a patty melt. Order down. <laughs> I mean, we do work pretty hard for the money, but it's a, it's work we enjoy. Mark, tell us what uh, we are going to be enjoying and discussing on today's episode. I have brought to the table today... She Works Hard for the Money by Donna Summer. This was a huge hit for her in 1983. It reached number three on the Hot 100. And also, the video was the first video by a black woman to receive heavy rotation on MTV. Uh, You might remember, if you were alive at the time, that the video was, in fact, always on. Yes. And it ended with... Can confirm. Exactly. It ended with... A group of women dressed in a variety of outfits uh, indicating their jobs, dancing in the street. And it is inexplicably unavailable online. You cannot find that video online right now. I don't know why. Maybe because everyone who was alive at the time could probably act it out and doesn't need it? Yeah, I guess you're right. Kind of question mark. But I wanted to bring this song in because I think that Donna Summer is a somewhat unheralded genius. And she is also someone whose musical legacy is very complicated because of some things that she said and did. Uh, And I just think that she's fascinating. And more importantly, she made some dope-ass hits, and I don't think she gets enough credit for how much of a creative force she was in making those songs. She was not just a voice. Not that that's not enough. I mean, being an incredible singer is more than enough. But she not only was an incredible singer, she also wrote a lot of her material. And uh, She Works Hard for the Money is her last huge hit. Uh, She had some other hits in the later 80s. But I just feel like this one sort of encapsulates the fact that she was able to transcend disco, where she got her start, and then move into new wave rock sounds. She started that with hot stuff. But uh, I just think that as sort of the capstone of the time in her career when she was a huge star, it's a really nice... Uh, song to talk about and also I really like the song and it makes me happy and I think that might be enough of a reason (laughs) I think that's plenty of reason my I think it's interesting that we're talking about this since she is tied so strongly to disco in people's minds Um, this sounds like and I guess was sort of this last gap of gap last gasp of disco that was still sort of sustaining in pop music in the 80s. It's mm-hmm. like this very danceable um, first term of Reagan's presidency pop with this, you know, vote ERA now flavor to it that still had to stay on the right side of disco, like in the popular imagination. So it kind of comes right up to the line of it and especially a hit by donna summer who uh, was like basically studio 54 should have given all its money to her Mm. she would have paid taxes on it probably not like some people (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed this song and enjoyed revisiting it. And this video really was, it, it was like every hour, whether they needed to or not. Uh, shall we hear a clip? Oh, I think that we should. All right, let's do that. Oh, Sarah, I still love it. It's it's really good. I mean, I think the song is probably like a minute too long. Mm, I can uh, see that. But but like in a way that when it was getting radio play, you wouldn't notice because the DJ would just like overlap it with something else. So right. you weren't necessarily hearing that like, I don't have anything else to say, but they told me it should be 435. Um, but there's so... I think we've become so accustomed to just having this song exist in the culture that you kind of have to go back to the 80s and um, power suits and floppy bow ties and uh, like, can women have it all? And all of these like discussions that were in the air all the time. When this came out, I was 10, but like, it's just in the air that what a woman is going to assume she can do or what a girl is going to assume she can become Mm -hmm. is evolving. And yet at the same time, it isn't. And Donna Summer, an artist of color is singing about, you know, being a woman, being a woman of color, having to break out of the genre that she's known for, having to deal with music industry bullshit, which is, I mean, where to start with that. And the extent to which this song, which is very peppy and danceable and gets in your head, is also this um, plaint about her plight, like that it's autobiographical. It's an interesting juxtaposition, which I think works. I mean, the song is great, but then when you think about everything that was happening around the song in 1983, you know, you just like sort of start staring off into space. And the next thing you know, you're like four songs deep in the Donna Summer playlist. Apple Music was like, here's this. And you're like, wait, what was I saying? (laughs) I was was actually too busy thinking about uh, how this led to the movie Working Girl. Yeah. I Does anyone else... All right, if you're within the sound of my voice. <laughs> did, was anyone else like, oh, yeah, this was from the movie Flashdance? It isn't. D- but you... Yeah, but it totally could be in but Flashdance. it sh- should have been. And here's what happened. They were like, we can't afford Donna Summer, so the poor man's Donna Summer, Irene Cara, yeah. is going to take over. <laughs> Oh my god, you're so right. I really, I stared at the track listing of the Flashdance soundtrack and was like, did they just forget? 
it's not on here. <laughs> you're like, it's, you're, it's just not on there. Like, you're hovering oh. the, the the cursor over each song, like, okay, just double checking. That's not it. That's not it. I really, Wait. I was like reading it aloud. Like, I must just be staring at it and not seeing it, like you do sometimes. Yep. <laughs> Pattern wreck was like violated. Anyway, if anyone else assumed that this was a Flashdance soundtrack and could literally picture Jennifer Beals in her cutoff sweatshirt dancing to this song. Call us. It's 646-3890 pop. Did I get that right? I feel like I always put in an extra number. Uh you got that correct. 646-389. For any reason, but if you also were like, wait, this isn't on the Flashdance soundtrack, I'm looking at the tape and oh wait, you're right. But yeah, seriously, any any thing that you want to say, request, comment, flash dance thought. 646-389-0767. That's 3890-POP. Um, yep. I want to also... I'm glad that you brought up the fact that she is so heavily um, connected to the disco era because one of the things that I learned when I was working on the musical Summer that came to Broadway two years ago... Oh, yeah. Uh, which really is what... That's the reason that I have such a deep appreciation for what she accomplished because one of my projects was creating this interactive timeline about her professional and personal life. And uh, it's still available if you Google the Donna Summer Broadway musical and you you go to that website that comes up, you'll see the timeline. It's like something like Donna style or Donna history, whatever. There's like tons of facts in there that I researched. I learned that Donna Summer... With the song I Feel Love, which she created with her frequent collaborators, Giorgio Moroder and Pete Bellotti, they created electronic dance music. Yeah. It is it is considered canon at this point that I Feel Love created electronic dance music. Mm-hmm. Like, if you enjoy David Guetta and Titanium or any other song that has been popular since the mid-70s, Donna Summer is one of the reasons that you enjoy that. And because... She had a strong hand in writing that song. Um, and then she was able through the song Bad Girls to f- and Hot Stuff to fuse disco and rock in a really interesting way. Then in the early 80s, she did a song called The Wanderer, which was more of a new wave rock song. There's this song, which is kind of a rocky, dancey song. Like, Homegirl did it all. And she, has she some, also. Like, early yeah. 60s girl group flavor, deep yeah. cuts. Which she has the voice for, like, I think people tend to be rather dismissive of disco artists generally, with a couple of notable exceptions, where it's like, we'll give credit to Thelma, and we'll give credit to Helen Reddy, and everybody else can't sing. Like, yeah. actually, they they really can. Like, at Disco Inferno, like, that that vocal is amazing. We just talked about an amazing vocal from last week, that Victor Willis, who was just, like, shouting proud, I mean... I I think she is also not given enough credit for performance for like execution either. Yeah, so. I completely agree. Like if you listen to her vocal on MacArthur Park, Ooh, you yeah. tr- you try doing that is what I can say. Like it's amazing. Yeah, without laughing, just for starters. <laughs> oh my god, that the existence <laughs> of MacArthur Park. Ugh. Um, I also want to point out that this song was co-written and produced by a guy named Michael O'Martian, who came to prominence because he produced christopher cross's album and the song sailing oh my god <laughs> speaking of shit that was everywhere oh my god sailing he recently um he 
Until recently, he was the only artist to win all four of the major Grammys in a single night. Uh, record, song, album, and best new artist. And then Billie Eilish just did it. So it's her and Christopher Cross now. That's a hell of a thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what to do with that information. <laughs> but interestingly enough, Michael O'Martian then went on to be the orchestrator or the arranger for We Are the World. And by the early 90s, he was working on a lot of the Amy Grant pop hits. And mm. that actually, I think, is a locus for one of the things that has forever changed Donna Summer's legacy. She became a born-again Christian in the early 80s and did Ooh, that classic yeah. thing where she's like discounting the sex in... Uh, love to love you, baby. You know, she has that sort of simulated orgasm in that song. Mm-hmm. She's like, I was wrong. But then she also made or was purported to have made. Let me be very clear on that. She was purported to have made comments that AIDS was God's punishment to gay people. Yeah. And for a woman whose career rose up in the disco era and who wouldn't have had shit yeah. without gay men. Oh, would you like to give the money back then? Yeah. No? Then have some seats. So it has been very... Allegedly, com- whatever. Yeah. Her relationship to that rumor or whatever you... That story, whatever you wanted to call it, was very complicated. She has died, so I all past tense, of course. But she was able to sort of somewhat pull herself out of that by making consistent comments that she hadn't said that. Or like she, she worked hard to distance herself from that. And so I am tempted, especially having met her late, her, her widower, I'm tempted to just give her the benefit of the doubt because it really, whatever she may have, may or may not have said in the moment and may or may not have felt in 81 or 83 or whatever, she didn't feel that way by the end of her life. So, okay. But there's no denying that Donna Summer's legacy and career were definitely impacted by that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's unfortunate that um, it wasn't, I guess, walked back with more um, velocity, yeah. for lack of a better way to put it. But, I mean, if she was at least firm in denying it, or like, I was misquoted, or that's not what I meant, or, you know, like, it, I think that she would have... I think she would have like found a safe space to have made the comments and stuck by them. Alas. So she didn't, do you know what I mean? Like she yeah. didn't necessarily have quote had to walk and them back, but I, I can see her sort of like emerging from the initial no zealot, like the convert fog of shitty comments and being like, Oh, I don't actually feel that way. So and then by the late 80s, she had one last top 10 hit called This Time I Know It's For Real that was produced by Stock, Aitken, and Waterman, who also produced the hits of Rick Astley. So it's like, girl, you found your way back to a gay sound <laughs> no matter yeah, what. Like... <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, um, I, and I have to say that I think that in a way, whether or not she said that is almost immaterial now because her music is so liberatory that it almost doesn't matter anymore to me. I am willing to overlook that controversy because the music is so good. And I don't think that the controversy is as real as it was or uh, for all the reasons I just said, because of all that, I feel like I can now just enjoy. She works hard for the money, hot stuff. She has this amazing song. I don't know if you know it called heaven knows. 
Mm -hmm. Heaven knows it's not the way it could be. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm surprised Uh, that's not better known. I mean, I I think it's also possible to just like, even if you do believe that she said those things and believe that she meant them, to then enjoy her music to spite her. Yeah. (laughs) And be like, this is gay as hell. Fuck you. (laughs) You know what? I'm listening to this music while I make out with my boyfriend. Bye. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's actually a really good way of putting it. You know what? We choose to listen to this to spite you. I did this choreography with my all gay male flag team. Deal with it. While leafing through an issue of men's health. (laughs) And (laughs) watching a Judy Garland movie on mute. And let me assure you, I wasn't reading the articles in that issue of Men's Health. (laughs) There were no articles. (laughs) All references to Kale. Together, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Take care. We have just gotten real nasty in these last two episodes. We really have. Pages, you know what? I left my copy of Men's Health at Uncle Popper's Playhouse. (laughs) Fight a nickel. And whatever y'all did with it while I wasn't there, y'all keep it. I don't need to know. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I'll come pick it up with tongs later. (laughs) Talk about she works hard for that money. Mm. He gets hard for the money. I I don't even know what to say at this point. (laughs) Hot stuff. Oh, yes. We're all bad girls. Oh, that's actually one thing I wanted to bring up. (laughs) So the song, She Works Hard for the Money, continues a pattern in Donna Summer's life of creating empathetic songs about the lives of women that are based on her real life experiences. So the song bad girls was written in response to the fact that some people down on a street were hooting and hollering at Donna Summer's assistant because they thought she was a streetwalker because she was dressed provocatively. And the woman came back really pissed off and Donna Summer also got mad, but then wrote a song like bad girls, which is really about how bad girls are out there just working hard. And she actually, exudes a lot of respect for what streetwalkers have to do. Like, that's a pretty cool, unexpected point of view. So the song, She Works Hard for the Money, was, uh, the the inspiration came when Donna Summer walked into the restroom of a popular L.A. night spot and accidentally startled awake the restroom attendant, a woman named Onetta Johnson. And she had fallen asleep, she apologetically said to Donna Summer, Because she had been working two jobs that day and just drifted off. And Donna Summer thought, well, she works hard for the money. And then the song came out of that. And if you listen to the first verse, it sounds maybe like she's saying, I met her there and in the corner she stands. But she's actually saying, Onetta there in the corner stands. The first verse of the song is about Onetta Johnson. And Onetta Johnson appears on the back cover of the She Works Hard for the Money album, dressed as a waitress, just like Donna Summer. Huh. And I just have always thought that was really cool. Like, Donna Summer was cool to be able to do something like that. Yeah. Which which does make me think that whatever was going on with those comments, that uh, that's, like, sort of uncharacteristically unempathetic. Yeah. And... Again, it's like the woman – I just think that like what I learned about her in my research and in talking to people who knew her, I, that's why I really just think the the whole the totality of Donna Summer was bigger than what may or may not have happened in that moment yeah. and was more empathetic and was more generous. And she deserves to be 
remembered for the things that she did that were brilliant and kind. I- and like I said, even if she really said those things and really would have stood by them, which I just Googled it, and she apparently sued New York Magazine for bringing it up again. So one suspects that she was not prepared to stick on them. But even if you can't get past that stuff, uh, her music's influence on and presence in a very queer scene and a very sort of like dominant not like that but a very dominant cultural moment um like you can't subtract them from each other so no whether she wanted it or not she is a gay icon and you can think of it that way to spite her memory if you want but i think she's probably i think she probably was not really about that at least after the conference so I feel comfortable having an uncomplicated love of her music and legacy. Yeah, I I think that's, I mean, you know, of, of all the reasons to cancel an artist. And there are so many today as, as we're learning with every passing day, I think that, you know, I don't think that's necessary. Um, if you have other insights on that, again, you really should call us. Uh, we haven't been getting many phone calls lately, and we really love them. You can also text us, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, a.k.a. me, and Sarah D. Bunting. And it's edited by Sarah D. Bunting as well. Do you want to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at TalkSongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mastus.podcast. To become a supporter and producer of this podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastus, where you can get access to all kinds of cool bonus content and vote in our ranking episodes. Thanks for listening. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.